This is the Protect Help Give Show with J.M. Ryerson. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Protect, Help, Give. I'm really excited for today because we have a gentleman that has a lot of experience. Kirian Matthew Therakin is the founder of the sales and marketing strategy firm, Strategy Peak Sales and Marketing Advisors, and a 27-year veteran of the sales and marketing industry. He has consulted for companies in numerous sectors. Mr. Therakin is also the author of the Amazon bestseller, The Seven Essential Stories Charismatic Leaders Tell, which details how anyone can move people and mountains with the power of story. Kieran, take two on this podcast. Sorry about the first one. How you doing, man? I'm well. Thanks for having me on, Jim. Uh, it's truly my pleasure. It really is. And I, I'm not sure, guys. We literally were two minutes in and my computer went blank. But you wrote an awesome book, and I can't wait to get into it because the title absolutely is captivating. So you have the marketing piece down. Give me a bit of your snippet of your story of your 27 years. How did you get into the sales and marketing field? Well, way back when, right out of university, uh, I stumbled into sales. I always thought I'd go into the computer industry. I did, but selling computers instead, you know, when, when you could actually make some money at it during the old IBM PC AT days, sold computers, sold software, a lot of selling, uh, eventually stumbled into marketing ran a sales and marketing team for an enterprise class software company. And then here we are. And one day you wake up in your mid fifties, wondering, wondering where the last 30 years went. Right. But if you uh, want to ask, you know, uh, you know, how did I come to some conclusions and an old sales manager of mine uh, said to me, when I asked him, how did you get to where you were at John? And he said, sold a lot of gear, Kieran, sold a lot of gear. And, and that's a, the only way to really do it. Sometimes you got to sell, go out there and just do it. Well, I love selling. I think the world is all about sales and clearly you've done that. Um, tell me about the book. I mean, you have the marketing piece down because I'm not kidding. That that title, I love the power of story. I love the charismatic. So what are, where, how did the book come to be? And tell me more about it because I haven't had a chance to read. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, in the last 10 years, I've been working with a lot of startup companies uh, out of the university, you know, out of various places. Uh, maybe they're startups, a spin-offs of different engineering firms, a lot of technologically and, and uh, scientific proficiency, but very poor sales and marketing skills. So you got to sell it in order to stay in the business, right? So I had to come up with a framework that was low on teaching them sales skills and very high on teaching them story. And I'm a big believer that the very first thing that anybody sells, the absolute very first thing is your story. And it's the story as having your customer as hero. So that's the story you want to tell. If your customer doesn't buy the customer's hero story, they won't buy anything else. So you have to be really good at understanding what that story is and how to tell it seductively. So you're telling me as a sales guy, I'm not the hero. It's actually the customer. You are the narrator of the story. Yeah, you're not the hero, pal. You know, if you are, boy, we got other problems. No, I, I, I and I say that jokingly because I think so often, uh, especially early in sales, I think people do misinterpret that where I'm going to come in and save the day. And that's just not the way this works. How did you come to that conclusion? And and tell me more about how people can tell their story. Because when there's a great storyteller, it's captivating. Like you said, it can move people. It can move mountains. Emotion truly is what makes people move. It's not the facts. So 
What are these stories and how do we go about telling them? Well, the human brain is very well positioned. It, it is evolutionarily, biologically primed to understand story. And human language has been around for about 2 million years now. You know, prototypical languages, 2 million years, right? Uh, but, you know, we've been gathering around hi- uh, fireplaces, fires, to tell a story of what happened during that day, the hunt, the gathering, whatever it is, probably for three, 400,000 years at least in, mo- in, in some kind of a story form that we would understand as a real language. Then we get into uh, things like cave paintings from 30,000 years ago, written language 5,000 years ago. Guess what all of that story is telling? All of those things are telling the story. It's always about the story. And in fact, the only way we can relate to each other, relate to our world, uh, relate to anything that is meaningful is by telling a story about it. And so everything is a story, whether you want to or not. And, you know, you're in the U.S. and, you know, you have a certain uh, political faction called the Democrats, another political faction called the Republicans. You put a certain set of facts in front of them. Facts are immutable. One plus one equals two. You know, something like that. This is a square. That's a circle. But what it means is completely different. What it can mean is completely different. And the meanings are told in story. So you have a fact that is infused with meaning that become very different stories, which results in different truths. And once you understand the truths that are driving the motives that behind you know, these different, very different types of perspectives, then you'll have a really clear understanding of how to influence the people behind those truths, behind the stories they tell. So if I'm sitting here and I'm doing sales and marketing, what are some of the biggest mistakes I'm making and not succeeding? Because we can talk about how to do it great, but maybe we should deal with some of the challenges that you've seen through your career where you're just like, ooh, that's not going to work. What are some of the absolutely don'ts when it comes to sales and marketing? Well, the absolute first don't is don't make it about the product. You can't make it about the product. You know, you can't make it about yourself, your company, or the product. It has to be, uh, it has to understand, you have to understand the deep meaning behind the pain that your customer is in or the gain that they want to get to. And that's the very first thing that you have to understand. So the, the mistake is making about the product, making about the features, and, you know, and early sales training, don't talk about the features, talk about the benefits. Well, that's nice, but it doesn't really make sense until you understand the deep story that your customer is telling themselves. And sometimes, you know, they can't really enunciate it very well. And that's why you having experience in the industry, like the insurance industry, you probably have seen the same common six to 12 stories play out over and over again. And you're really good. And, and as you get further along in your career, you're really good at these three stories because you know it cold and you love the story. You tell it and you have a deep belief in it, which translates into a great sale process, right? Because that deep belief translates into confidence, it translates into, into trust, familiarity, liking, all that great stuff. Sales happen naturally as a result of all those things taking place. Do you believe in capturing the stories and actually almost like bullet pointing them out? Or is this just all upstairs? And the reason I ask this, the folks I've met that really believe in what you're saying, and I do, you they capture these stories and they have them not just upstairs and in your brain, but they have actually documented. What's kind of your process for that? Well, the process that we are adopting, and in fact, you know, and I've, I've created this in my consulting practice for numerous companies, is to create a sales playbook. 
they create the playbook and you go and detail things like the process, but then you also detail everything about the company, the products and services, but more importantly, how they enable the story fulfillment of your customers. And the customer, you might have six to 12 common archetypes. You're not going to have 3 million archetypes. You're going to have six to 12 common situations that you're dealing with. And so within that playbook, you will detail the examples in those various types of six to 12 common archetypical situations. And that way, everybody's working from a, a common playbook, adding to that common playbook, and you're working from something that works. Oh, that makes sense. And I imagine in the book, and I don't want to give it away, but is there a structure to the story? Because we've talked about uh, the customer being the, the hero um, and you being the narrator. So clearly there is somewhat of a, I don't know, a protocol. There's a, a formula. It, am I? Can you tell me a bit more so I can help people sure. visualize and see this as a sales and marketing person? Well, the book is uh, is very much a leadership book. It's, uh, the title is The Seven Essential Stories Charismatic Leaders Tell. And what we're trying to do is put as much of the heavy lifting on the stories itself. So the stories are what are actually charismatic. And because you have a deep belief in the stories, you become charismatic as a result, right? So you don't have to have natural charisma. You just have to have a deep belief and be emotionally vested in those stories. And the seven stories are the following, creation and origin. How did this start? Why did it begin? What was that inciting incident that created, uh, you know, some kind of uh, jostle, jostle in your life, right? And every Pixar story is, you know, everything is fine. Something happened, which led me to try and fix it. And then it all resolved. That's every Pixar story. And it gets more sophisticated with the bigger stuff, right? Like the, it's called the hero's, uh, hero's journey or the monomyth. And that's, that's Star Wars and every big myth out of Greece, you know, and out of, out of Asia, things like that. And you have those, all these different uh, complexities complexities in it. Pixar has narrowed it down to those four or five stages. But the very first thing is, where did you start? And then what happened? Second one, identity, values, and beliefs. So who are you? What are your highest values? And what do you believe in deep in your heart? You know, what is so core to you that if I took it away, you would collapse? And you have to have a deep understanding of your customer's belief system you know, what their values are, you know, uh, in insurance, if we talk about insurance again, insurance in the whole life policies can be used not only to protect uh, your family in the case that you demise, but it can also be an excellent investment vehicle. Now, which values, now both of them are important, but what's driving a 25-year-old? You know, most 25-year-olds are probably very immortal at that stage, right? And so this idea of what are the identities and values and beliefs, you have to understand that clearly. Next, we go into the big idea. What is that central unifying idea that encapsulates everything that we're selling, uh, talking about? So if we talk about the customer's pain, what they want to do to, do to get out of game, get to gain, what's the big idea that I'm going to give you to enable that story to take place? And you have to be able to state that. And then that is a, there's, that's a story in itself. These are all, you know, uh, seven stories, but they come together in the final thing. I'll tell you what that means in a second. We go into the fourth story, which is the enemy we face. So what's the enemy we face? And so, you know, the enemy doesn't have to be a person. It can be poverty. It can be a health crisis. It can be divorce. <laughs> it can be a lot of different things. And so another word for the enemy we face is what's the challenge that we face. Or it can be a physical enemy. 
you know, what, you know, then so back in uh, the early 2000s, it was the Taliban. You know, uh, it was the whole crisis of Al-Qaeda and Al-Qaeda went away and then suddenly it's ISIS. You know, so different enemies take place, right? And then we have to move into the, into the following thing. So, you know, these are all things that are about you and I and what you're facing. But there's also an environmental situation that's happening as well. And we call that the mighty winds. And the mighty winds are all about the macro trends that are buffeting everybody. You, me, your competition, everybody is being buffeted by the winds. And so these winds are typically the following things. These are macro trends. They are societal, technological, economic, environmental, political, legislative. And when these winds blow, they create tsunamis of destruction and tidal waves of opportunity at the same time. So if you take a look at the 1969 uh, DARPA, which is the Defense Advanced Research Projects out of the military, they created a little thing called the internet. <laughs> and the internet was just connecting a couple of universities at the time, three, four universities to, to transfer files. But by the 1990s, you had hypertext transfer protocol, the World Wide Web, and suddenly Mark Zuckerberg is worth several hundred billion dollars. Slight exaggeration there, right? But all sorts of companies came forth and lots of companies got destroyed in that process. Well, here's an example of, of destruction. Uh, Google puts out all of its office suite and you know now you can get Google Docs for free if you want, right? What happened to WordPerfect in the mm-hmm. 1980s? Gone. You know, it, it, all these standalone uh, software products, gone. And so you got to be really standing out uh, to be very different to have a standalone, uh, you know, word process. There is no such thing. Now you have office suites in the cloud. Tidal waves of destruction, tsunamis of opportunity. Now, if all of that's true, JM, if all of that's true, then that is the left side of the equation. Now you're going to have a little equal sign. And what that implies is, if all of this is true, then this is the journey we must undertake. That's story five. That is, I'm sorry, that's story six, the journey we must undertake. We got to do this. We have to do this. And then finally, story seven is what we call the why we will win story. And the why we will win story takes the previous six stories, slams them all together into one major telling, but short Summary telling, you can go into depth by going to the, each one individually. But then we combine it with what we call keystones. Keystones. And the keystones are things that will help you win. It's maybe supernatural. It might be something that's individual. We are going to win because we have a superior strategy. We're going to win because we have the best people. We are going to win because God is on our side. And you've seen examples of all those kinds of things. And there's hundreds of keystones, not just one. And so you're going to now tell that story because if everything that you've said is true, the left-hand side of the equation, we have to undertake this journey now to push your people forward, to continue that march. you got to give them some kind of confidence, which is the why we will win story. And we're going to do it with this, with this keystone elements woven into that master telling. Guys, he just gave you the formula. There's so much more to it, but I love the way you broke that down. And so easily, I definitely wrote down tsunamis of opportunity and tidal waves of destruction because it is interesting. The example you gave with Google Docs versus, uh, I think you said word perfect. It's so true. One absolutely took off. The other, it's gone. Um, If I were to pick 
the most powerful story category you can tell to persuade anyone? Which one is it, brother? Because I want to know. I mean, I want to be, you know, influencing and helping people every single day. Uh, I just got an email from a young man in his uh, organization. He's in the mid-20s. And he really wants to be able to influence the culture in his organization. So that's the other part. The fun part of the book is all about culture. This is, culture's got to be there in order for you to infuse the stories in. And the seven pillars of culture. We're not going to get into that today. But now, which story is going to really make people come alive? And I told him it's always story five. And story five is the mighty wind story. Because that is something that is unpredictable. You can observe it. But And you can see its change, the sea changes that are happening. But unless you get on top of it in some way, it doesn't care whether it makes you poor or kills you or gives you wealth and makes you come alive. It doesn't care. You've got to be on the right side of it, right? So WordPerfect didn't survive, but Microsoft Office did. Right. It just did. And, you know, that was just a little sea change called bundling. And the bundling is a technology. Uh, uh, it's a technology aspect because the only thing that Microsoft said is all these things, all these little components like uh, PowerPoint and Word and Excel, they should talk to each other. Let's make them talk to each other. And before, you know, you had to create buy Lotus one, two, three, and then Word Perfect and all that kind of stuff. But Microsoft said, let's put it all into one big office bundle. And all these other companies, gone. They're gone because they didn't pay attention to the technology wave that was always around them. Yeah, just being observant, like you said earlier, I, I'm trying to keep, you know, being observant to the world and being able to either capture and, and be a part of the tsunami or get crushed by the tidal wave. It's really interesting. So what's what's also interesting is you said the book is a leadership book. And I love that because we talk about leadership on this podcast every single time. What can you define leadership for us and what that means to you? And how could everyone listening improve their leadership? Leadership is about painting a vision and a purpose. And we call that a mission, right? So where are we going? How are we going to get there? And why are we doing it? Right? And if you do those three things, you are a leader. Now, everyone's a leader, whether they want to be or not. They're also followers, whether they want to be or not. And, you know, you have to do both in, in the appropriate measure at the appropriate time. So the CEO can do whatever he wants right up until the time the board says, no, you're not. Or the shareholders say, no, you're not. Right. And, you know, and the, the secretary uh, in the, uh, the line of the factory that is, you know, helping move the paper around. She is a definite leader when she prioritizes this particular stack of papers instead of that, because she understands the importance of getting that done in order to keep the line moving forward. So we all have the opportunities to be leaders every moment. And what I'm really trying to do here with the book is say that your people, all of your people have to understand these seven stories. Otherwise, you're not doing your job as a leader. In your own organization, is this something that you train on from day one, the seven stories? Because obviously the book, you're impacting a lot of people out there. Is this something that you've trained on uh, for years in your 27 plus years of, of being in business? Uh, in, you know what? I, I would say train, train was a formal word. It, it assumes some formality to it. I would say that this is just looking back on that time I've done all these different things and say, this stuff worked, this stuff didn't. And if these things worked, 
let's actually now compile that and understand why it worked and then put that into a, into a form. And the whole book, whole book is stories. So I give you a principle and then I illustrate it with story, story, story. And the stories work because the principles work. And the principles work because the stories allow it to be embedded in your people's heads. People have a really tough time memorizing facts and they're memorizing rule books and things like that. But they have a great, easy, easy uh, ability to remember stories. Um, I, I, I've, I've invested in a few different companies in around uh, the city. And one of them is a digital marketing company. And, uh, you know, everything's story form. Everything is story form. And one day, uh, this whole, I, I was saying, you know, remember, we got to do this. And they all snapped together and said, FedEx. Everybody knew the FedEx story. Everybody knew the FedEx story, right? And nothing more needed to be said. Now, the actual company was Emory Worldwide, <laughs> but it wasn't FedEx, but they understood it as FedEx, but they knew the principle contained in the FedEx story. And so no memorization. They remember the story because our brains are geared to remember, understand, and relate to story. So what I'm really hearing is for, not forget facts and figures, because that's not the idea, but definitely put them into your story. And, and talk to me maybe a bit about your rehearsal process. Is this something, before you ever go out and talk to someone, is this something that you've tried and tried and tried again? Because, I, again, I think of people in sales, whether they call it scripts or their process, how do you get that down so you can inject your story so that it doesn't feel such like such a script? The story itself is about a principle. And it has some characters. There's a protagonist, antagonist. There's a current situation. There's an inciting incident, right? And then there's some kind of resolution. There's usually a muddle in the middle as well. Something that didn't quite go right as you tried to solve it, right? That's every, that's every sitcom out there <laughs> as well, right? A sitcom does that in 22 minutes. Now, with that, you know, what do you have to remember? You know, when you're relating the latest Seinfeld episode, and I'm showing my age there because that's long since gone, right? When you're relating to say, uh, the, your favorite Seinfeld episode, you don't go word by word. You relate the major scenes and the punchlines in them, right? And that's all you really have to understand because it's the major stuff that create the current situation, desired future state, inciting incident resolution with tools and 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 magic amulets whatever it is right? kramer's uh, craziness whatever it is and that's the only things you have to remember uh, memorize because without that you don't have a story but everything else is fluid it's up to you how you want to relate it and if you try and mimic me you're not going to pull it off very well simply because i wouldn't be able to pull your way of of uh, relating that story either off very well i'm going to do it my way so uh, know the story and adopt it to your own style of telling. And if you guys are only listening, you can't see his body language. But when he's telling these stories, he is utilizing a lot of this. And what I'm hearing, guys, is give yourself a little grace to say, you don't have to know it word for word because, A, it's going to be a slightly different for each person, but it'll fit in a bucket. And then you just tell the story away and animated or an energetic someone that really believes. Because when you do believe in these stories, you do that. Is that a learned behavior? Or again, is this just human evolution? Like great storytellers, when you get into it, you're, you're, the hands are going. I'm just curious because we all want to get better at it. 
because I enjoy listening to great storytellers, but is can it be a learned behavior? I guess is my question. Well, I think we're all natural storytellers, whether we want to be or not. <laughs> right? If you if you've gotten anywhere ahead in your career in any form, you have had the ability to tell a story, or at least be able to you know infuse it in the people in in your uh, in your vicinity. Right? You have a brand, and your brand is based on the stories that people tell about that personal brand. And it can be Bob's here. Bob, who who invited Bob? Or it could be you know Bob's here. Good, thank God, Bob's here. Get him in. Right? We've been waiting for it. Now, you brought up a good point, and I will say, you know, I just listened to your uh, your uh, podcast with your wife, and you know, I thought that was great. I really, I'm sure that can be trying for most people, you know, uh, just working with your wife, being in the same industry, that kind of stuff. But you know, one of the things that uh, you both came together on was this word uh, word connect, and ultimately, what we're trying to do is exactly what you and I are doing right now. There is no script, you know. There's an overall idea of what we want to communicate. But we are feeding off each other. We're looking at each other's faces. We're trying to see what is actually connecting and whether something needs to be explained more or whether everybody gets it. Then we can move forward from there. But ultimately, you know, we want each of us in this conversation, and hopefully your sales uh, meetings are conversations instead of speeches, right? So you want to make that conversation. The beauty of conversations is that both parties are now participating and they are both getting something out of it, right? You know, sales of any kind to be truly beneficial, it has to be a trade. It has to be a beneficial trade. And so this idea of the first trade though is connection. I have to connect with you. You have to like me. You have to find me meaningful. There's value. Uh, there's a value proposition. It, it may be simply that, you know, that uh, you enjoy my company and you enjoy my stories, but we're getting something out of each other. And if we're not, then everything else is suspect. And I, uh, so I think I know this answer, but, and it may literally come back to story, but is that the fastest way to connect with another human being is through the story? Because obviously in this Zoom world, you and I just met for the first time, but we did connect. And I'm not sure if that was just kindred spirits or look, he's got a story I'm really interested. Tell me more about that because this is, so paramount to succeeding in sales or failing in sales? Sure. So you'll notice that in our time together, and we've never met before, right? And this is the first time we've met, and we have a lively discussion going on. I, I think it's a lively discussion. Is it a lively discussion? I'm having yes. a great time. I, I have notes, and I don't know which question to ask, so it's very good. It's a, it's a lively discussion. You will note that I have not told you any stories. There's no, I haven't told you one story yet that has been uh, formatted and pitched. What we have is co-created a story together, right? We have this overall idea. Here's a book. Why did you write the book? What was the purpose? How can I relate it to sales? You know, personal branding. We talked a little bit about your wife, your wife and, you know, and uh, her career in, uh, in insurance and, and those kind of things. So we have all these different storylines that are coming together around a central theme of story as conduit, story as the overall energizing factor for any kind of relationship to start, form, and thrive. So you mentioned culture early, and I got to get back to this because, again, the book is on leadership. And I believe firmly in culture 
you will either thrive or you will really struggle as a company in culture. As a leader, how's the best way to really establish that culture, even subculture within a company? Do you have some real thoughts on how to really establish that culture and then communicate that with your team? Sure. The uh, culture exists anytime two people get together. <laughs> because culture, you know, I got this from a university cultural anthropology class way back when. Culture is simply the knowledge used to survive and thrive in an environment. That's it. And I thought, wow, what a succinct little definition of culture. That's it. And a lot of people think, oh, we, are, we got a great culture. Well, why do you have a great culture? Well, there's keg, a keg Thursdays and ping pong tables in the, in the rec room. That's not culture. Those are observational facts, factors in culture. You can observe those kind of things. But what you have to really look for is the knowledge underlying all this because we're using, trying to use that knowledge to survive and thrive. And there's seven pillars of culture that exist. Uh, here are the seven pillars. The very first one is a social organization. So this is flat. Is it hierarchical? Okay. Is it, you know, is it, you know, lone wolf or wolf pack? Those are different, right? Uh, language and writing. What is your language? How do you uh, communicate that language? And language is very specific. You have very specific terms uh, for sales in the insurance industry, which is very different than in the computer industry, which is very different than in the realtor, real estate industry. But if you take a look at it, they all mean the same thing. A close is a close is a close. A prospect is a prospect is a prospect, right? But you can have different vernacular for it. And the vernacular suggests that you're part of the in-group. You're part of that in-group. So we have a uh, dog food company uh, up here in uh, Alberta, actually, just uh, 20 miles from me. And they ship all over the world, champion pet foods. They very specifically call their factories, not factories, kitchens. Mm. They call their production facilities kitchens. And I've been admonished while I was doing presentation. Now, it's a kitchen. <laughs> I'm the front. And they've told me, no, it's a kitchen. Oh, and then I caught myself. Because kitchens are where food is produced. Okay? Factories produce kibble pellets. <laughs> right? Now, you, the kind of, and they're a premium dog food brand. Premium. And you, in fact, it's human grade. So they produce their product in a kitchen. So what is the language you're using? Third one, religion. And religion is ultimately what do you worship? What do you worship? Now, hopefully you don't worship the boss as a god. <laughs> hopefully that's not the place you work, right? But what you do worship are the highest values that your organization celebrates. You know, so you have values, you have beliefs, which results in identity. And you have various things like rituals. And you have different, you know, you have celebrations of various kinds, right? And you have a god or gods. And ultimately, it all comes down to the central theme of how do you worship, what do you worship, where do you worship, all those kind of things. And every organization has a religion. It just does, right? You know, in, in a uh, school, uh, you might be able to, uh, you know, certain schools worship this idea of academic uh, prowess. The other, other schools are much more athletic prowess. Now, that's not to say one is less important than the other, but what is more venerated? You know, and, and you go to different schools for different reasons because you're trying to bind to the religion. Uh, fourth, uh, forms of government. How are decisions made? How are decisions made? Is it flat? The only person here that can make a decision is the boss, right? Or is this now a communal decision? Is this a cooperative decision? 
where, you know, you have these teams that come together and they come to consensus. And both are okay as long as everybody understands where they're coming from. Economic systems is the fifth pillar, and that's how we create value. How do we create value? What are the inputs to that value? What are, what's the process for transporting, uh, for creating, uh, what is it, the product or service out of the inputs? And then the final way to where do we sell it to? To another business, to the end consumer, et cetera. And what are the value creation steps along the way? And this idea of economic systems, like, you know, if you go into any organization, a great organization with a great culture, everybody in there will be able to tell you what that ecosystem is all about. Everybody, you know, who are our suppliers? Who are our customers? Uh, who, how do we create value? You know, uh, who is our competition? You know, everybody in that ecosystem. Now, where the CEO, the exec team, and maybe the salespeople, right? Frontline people uh, may be able to do this. I want everybody to be able to understand that. Otherwise, the marketing team, well, the marketing team is pretty much frontline as well. But the people in the middle, they may not understand why this is such a big deal to the sales team. <laughs> why is this such a big, de- big deal? And why is this a threat? Why is that an opportunity? Because until you understand that economic ecosystem, you don't understand what is threats or opportunities. Six, six pillar, the arts. The arts. How do you take whatever you are creating and lift it to the level of an art? What is the level? So you take a look at Apple. Apple is the most familiar uh, to most people. And you took the old Nokia brick phone and you lifted it to this elegant, slick, high design, super fluid product, right? And well, I don't want this anymore. It still makes a call. Both to make a call. I want this. This is an art level, which then at that at that time created the blocks long lineups, you know, to get the, you know, the iPhone one, iPhone two, whatever their versions were. And because those people in those blocks long line are worshiping the cult of Apple. How's that, right? Cult is just a shortened uh, word for culture. The cult of Apple, right? And the final one is customs and traditions. And so what are the uh, things that uh, you come together with on a regular basis that help you celebrate, you know, and help you uh, really venerate the values that are the, the center of your culture? At the core of your culture, identity, values, and beliefs, right? And they form a religion. And ultimately, the religion is celebrated by... Going to uh, going to temple on on Sabbath, right? Going going to what is a church on Sunday, you know the those kinds of things. How do you do it? Do Christmas worship, mass, all these different types of things. And you know, if you really take a look at it, the absolute best illustrations of all of this are the world's dominant religions. And great marketing takes its cues from great religion. Mm-hmm. Regis McKenna. One of, uh, one of Steve Jobs' first uh, marketing consultants uh, coined that one. Okay, I, I'm not going to take credit for this, right? But great marketing takes its cues from great religion. And great religion, the reason why they survive all of this time, there's been thousands of religions over the years. Why the great religions survive is because they tell great stories and they're encapsulated in holy books. So you have that holy book, you know, and whatever that is, uh, the Quran, the Bible, you know, uh, the Old Testament, whatever it is, it tells you who we are, what we do, why, why we do it, and how to worship. So all of these things come together to create that culture, and you take that culture, and you infuse it with the seven stories. 
then you got some kind of critical nuclear fusion happening. You guys, he said a lot, but he simplified so many things. So every conversation you go into, you're going to co-create. I've never thought of it that way. It's really interesting what you said is, you're right, I didn't hear any stories. We are going back and forth, and it's creating the story. It's not It's not one person like monologue. It's, it's a dialogue going on. That made so much sense. You know the other thing that, Korean, I'm telling you, I never thought of this, the word cult. <laughs> And culture, I never thought of that. That's so, yes, but I wonder why cult got such a bad name. That's that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know, I, know the story behind that. It's just, I, I never thought of it that way. And, and cult is just a very super formed culture, yeah. right? You cannot shake these cult uh, believers' beliefs. It is so ingrained, so embedded. Yeah, it's really interesting. I've never thought of that until you said that. And I'm like, ah, of course. I don't know why I think about cults, but regardless, you hear that word a lot. And I never thought of that. Uh, brother, you said so much. And I, I, I want to give you the chance to really wrap it up. If you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I didn't? That you're like, gosh, dang it, Jam, I got to get this to the audience. No, I, you know what? I think the, the, the bottom line, you know, if your audience are sales oriented, right? And uh, with your background and such, I think there's a lot of salespeople that are sales managers, right? That'll be tuning in. And we got to get into this idea of storytelling on a co-creation basis, right? And understand the stories that motivate, that compel, impel, propel people's actions. You know, and then understand that we tell a story that enables them to get out of their pain state and everybody's in a pain state or they want to get to a gain state. And there's a gap. There's a gap between their desired future state and where they are today. Our products and services are simply tools to enable the fulfillment of the promises in the story you told them. So the very first thing we sell is your story, is the story, the customer's hero story. You guys, I hope you heard that loud and clear. Go co-create a bunch of stories this week. You're going to help a lot of people co-creating, not talking to people, but rather talking with them. Brother, congratulations on the book. How can our uh, listeners connect with you online? So, uh, Jam, if you uh, come to my, uh, well, first of all, go go get a book. It's on Amazon. It's called The Seven Essential Stories Charismatic Leaders Tell. And uh, what I'll do for your readers, actually, the first five that connect with me through my email address, you'll put it up in the show notes, curian at strategypeak.com. I will send them a Kindle version of the book. Right. And then they'll have a copy of that. I'm going to send you a copy as well, JM. And uh, yeah, so connect with me through uh, through the book. Uh, connect with me on my site, strategypeak.com. I'm also on LinkedIn, open to all sorts of uh, conversations with people to see uh, how they can apply this in their own in their own companies and organizations. Yeah, we absolutely will link it in the show notes. Be one of the first five, you guys. I'm telling you, I, I got the chance to watch him tell these ideas and he did it so seamlessly. I can only imagine in a sales or leadership environment. How powerful this is. Karen, great job on the book. Congratulations. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, yeah, I just really appreciate your time. Jam, thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun. Truly, truly my pleasure. You guys, I hope you took as many notes. I feverishly, I'm trying to listen, write it down, and I am going to go back and hear this again. He brought up an idea and I want you to just think of it. Go co-create at least 10 stories this week. You can do this. It's it's fun. 
I had a great time. Just go do the same with your clients. It's the exact same idea. You guys continue getting better every day. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Our goal is to help a lot of people create life-changing wealth and get better every day. For more information or comments, please reach me at jryerson at appreciationfinancial.com or connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Let's Go Win 365. Keep growing and we'll see you next time. This is the Protect Help Give Show with J.M. Ryerson.